We are going to end our book of Jonah today with the scripture reading. From Jonah, verses 4, verses 5 to 11. Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? Hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Your word is also the shade that protects us from judgment. Under the shadow of your cross, we are safe and we are secure. Bless us this day. Bring us your word that is your light and your cross, which is our protection and our freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are at the end of our six-week sermon series on Jonah, and uh, as Ingrid <laughs> showed us, she didn't tell us, she showed us, that it's been a wild ride from the beginning. We've had divine communications, God-driven hurricanes, pagan sailors who convert, a three-day trip in the belly of a great fish, and a miraculous conversion of a city full of wicked, wicked people. It's been both wild and weird. In my mind, the Bible's at its best when it's at its weirdest. And Jonah is pretty weird. So I'm actually kind of sad that we're at the end. Regardless of the fact that we're at the end, though, we're still in for a treat because the weirdness just keeps on coming right until the very end. You'll remember that last week, Jonah found out that God was going to spare the city of Nineveh, and he freaked out. 
This was one of the world's most bloodthirsty empires. These people deserve consequences for their sins, but God relented and forgave them. And this made Jonah absolutely furious. He figured God was going to let him off, or figured that God was letting them off easy, to which God asked him if his anger was good or right. So in this week, we've got Jonah stomping off without even answering the question. He heads out east and he finds a nice good spot to settle down where he can get like a nice panoramic view of the great city and he plunks, plunks himself down, builds himself a booth and he waits. God gave the city 40 days to turn itself around and sure they're doing fine right now but Jonah figures that they'll backslide before you know it and they'll get back to their evil habits and then wham! Divine judgment. So Jonah's got, you know, the lawn chair out, and he's ready to catch the coming mayhem. He just can't wait, right? And here's where the weird comes in. I mean, if that wasn't weird, <laughs> that's weird enough as it is, I guess. But Jonah's got his feet up. He's waiting for the city to slip back into the evil abyss. You know, he's got the popcorn out. He's, you know, this is going to be good. And God creeps this plant over him, right? And his booth. We don't know what kind of a plant it is either. Our translation says a bush. Others say a vine. And I mean, the old King James version is the best. It says it's a gourd. If it's not the most realistic image, it's the funniest. You know, it's the gourd of the Lord hangs over Jonah's head. This giant squash is acting as a supernatural umbrella. No matter what kind of vegetation it is, though, it blocks out the scorching sun. And this is the first time in this whole story that Jonah's actually happy, you know? The gore's just keeping him nice and cozy while he awaits the city's doom. What a nice thing for God to do. The Lord's just too kind. And just as Jonah's got it literally made in the shade, though, God gets in there and messes things up. The day passes by, and then the night, and finally the dawn, and you can see the sun making its way on the horizon, and God creeps this little worm up to the gourd that crept up on Jonah. And this worm, it sucks all the life out of it. And the gourd withers, and it dies right off. And then when the sun's finally up, it's in full blast, and God slaps Jonah with this sultry east wind. Now Jonah's suddenly defenseless, scorched in the desert heat, and this is the last straw. Jonah's faint. He's heat-struck. Last week, Jonah wanted to die on account of the mercy that God showed the Ninevites, and this week, Jonah wants to die based on the fact that God sort of removed the mercy of the gourd from Jonah. <laughs> Does it get any weirder than this? Booth, gourd, worm, sandstorm, sultry wind. It's as weird as it gets, and I absolutely love it. I love this. It might be even be my favorite scripture now. You know, I switch. I, I've got like a thousand favorite scriptures. So this is, this is like, this is number one right now me soon enough though we discover that all this weirdness has a purpose it's at this point where it's clear 
that this whole thing with the gourd and the worm is actually a parable. It's a parable. And parables in the Bible are meant, are these short stories with kind of a surprising twist that are meant to take us, shake us up and show us some new and different or different way of seeing God or God's kingdom. You'll remember that Jesus was a master of parables. They were one of his main tools for teaching. And usually he'd tell a little story and then he'd offer an interpretation. And, and this here is a living parable. Jonah's both the star and the student. And we know this story is a parable because like Jesus with his parables, God offers the whole thing in interpretation to. Here's what this all means, God says. Look, Jonah. God says again, look, you're so concerned about this bush. You pity this gourd. I mean, the pity's all self-serving, but it's pity nonetheless. There's this little wee bit of concern in there inside of you for something other than you. You're sad. You're all worked up about the destiny of this little squash. So considering that little bit of pity you've got for this non-sentient vine shrubbery, shouldn't I, the creator of the universe, be concerned for Nineveh, that great city with 120,000 people who don't even know the difference between their left and their right hand? And also many animals. I mean, this is the best part of the text. It's sort of, at the end, it's like, and don't forget the animals, too. Don't forget the animals. You're all messed up about a gourd, which, by the way, you didn't grow, one that popped up in a day and then died in a night. So will you permit me, God, a little pity for these people who I made? Ignorant, sinful, and as violent as they may be. And don't forget their cows and their sheep, too. Through this parable, God's trying to awaken in Jonah some compassion for these people. Because if he can muster just a little speck of love for a little gourd he didn't grow, imagine the compassion of the creator of the universe for has for these human beings, human beings that she did make, human beings she did grow from the womb. The point of this weird parable is to shake Jonah up, to soften his heart with a little pity, to spark the flame of divine compassion by giving him just a glimpse of the unfathomable depths of divine grace. For all the human beings he's made, no matter how terrible they've become, for all creatures, in fact, again, don't forget the animals, the cows, and the sheep. God has pity for them too. Jonah just couldn't believe that God would forgive people like the people of Nineveh, these jack-booted Nazi-like thugs who wiped out 10 of the 12 tribes of his own people. But apparently God can. He assumed that there would be a limit on divine patience understanding and forgiveness but apparently <laughs> there isn't 
And Jonah figured that in relenting from punishment, God was in dereliction of his divine duty towards justice. God wasn't fulfilling the divine job description as creator. God wasn't being God. But apparently, this is exactly who God is. In fact, you could say that this is the message of the whole book of Jonah. This parable offers an interpretation for the whole book. That God, the creator of all things, the source of all being, the heartbeat of existence doesn't want anyone to perish, but come to repentance. That God desires everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And in that same way that God tried everything from a word to a storm to a whale to get Jonah back on track, God will bend over backwards and will bend the very rules of justice to save his most deranged and corrupted child, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. I mean, sometimes we say stuff like, the Old Testament God is mean and punishing. But this passage, my friends, this Old Testament passage is as New Testament as it gets. Same God running all the way through. This God refuses to be God without us. With the God we've got, there's no sinner left behind. This is exactly who God is. And this was the point of Jonah from the beginning. Which makes this the perfect place to end the sermon series. Because this is the radical heart of the Christian message. The most radical and most beautiful. That you and I, you and I in this wonderful, fragile world... We are the objects of an inexhaustible grace, a bottomless well of divine pity from our first breath unto our last and beyond. No matter how fearful we may be, no matter how far we wander, no matter how hard we fail, no matter how deep, deep we sink Jonah-like into our own resentment, even if we're like the Ninevites, and don't know our right hand from our left, good from evil, the hound of heaven still on our trail, nipping at our heels, relentlessly running us down and dragging us back onto the path of goodness. It means that you are forgiven. It means that there's always more mercy. There's always more hope. There's always more life. And no matter how many times you throw this gift back in God's face, it's still yours for the taking. Even you. That's the meaning of the book of Jonah. Like I said, it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It's why I'm, a, why I'm a Christian and not something else. It's not only good news, it's the best possible 
news there is. And I pray that each of us, each of you, will grab hold onto it for dear life, even when Jonah's over. It's the center of the whole of the scriptures. There is one tiny little thing, though. A little unexpected side effect of divine grace. And it's the thing that Jonah had the most trouble with from the beginning. We don't know if he actually comes around, right? The text remains open, ended with this question. And the, you know, troubling little thing is simply the fact that if the message of grace of inconceivable grace is for us, then it means it's also true for everybody else. Everybody else, full stop. That's the troubling thing. Because it means that at every time we're tempted to write anyone off and consign anyone to perdition, we're confronted by the God who refused to write us off in the first place. We're met with that same merciful cross-examination by the Lord. Should I not have pity for them, these people who do not know their right hand from their left? Think of the person or the group of people you find it the hardest to pity, let alone love. For Jonah, it was the evil Ninevites, but maybe it's the person who hurt you. Or maybe it's the junkie on the street. Maybe it's the conspiracy theorist or racist relative or the bleeding heart liberal who you've unfriended on Facebook. The terrorist or the homophobe or the Christophobe, if that's not even, if that's even a word. Or maybe it's a particular politician who gets let off the hook again and again and again. Insert your villain here, and you'll kind of get the hard edge of this text. Should I not have pity on them, asks the Lord, these people who do not know their right hand from their left. Father, forgive them, Jesus says from the cross, for they know not what they do. The depth of God's grace is not only a beautiful thing, it's also deeply troubling. Because if the good news is for us, then it's for them too. If we believe it, then we're more than likely, it's more than likely that we'll find that we can no longer hold on to our hates or our resentments about anybody. I mean, we can, but we'll end up like Jonah. If we believe it, it means that 
we won't be able to look into the face of the worst, even our own without seeing what God sees. The face of Christ, the eyes of his children, the subjects of his love, and the objects of his salvation looking back at us. We won't be able to see anything less than a beloved brother or a sister, no matter their past, no matter their politics, no matter their deeds, even them. If we truly believe it, we won't be able to do anything but turn in our hatred for love and past for God's future. Because to do otherwise would mean that we're destined, like Jonah, to wither and die in the scorching heat of divine judgment. This is the God that we're, you know, hitching our wagon to. It's weird. I know. It's weird, but it's also beautiful. And it's as troubling and difficult as it is beautiful. I know that too. But in its weird, difficult, troubling beauty is the truth and the key to the life we all long for. The way, the truth, and the life. Should not the Lord have pity on his creatures, even the ones who can't tell the difference between their right hand and their left? The answer is that not only that God should, but God does. And it's for you, and it's for me, and it's for every creature that's cast a shadow by the sun or any of the stars of infinity. It's troubling news, I know, but it's good. Trust me and live. Amen. And myself, Spirit, open my heart. Spirit, 